I started realizing in my healing journey that it had to be inside of me, right? I couldn't look to you to love me enough to heal me. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am your host, Moira Gorski. Just so thrilled that you are here. Today, I'm bringing you, again, one of my friends. And, you know, I want to start by saying someone had said to me one time when I was asked to speak on a a call for the company that I work with and represent because of my first name, Moira. She said, you know, or he said, you know, I don't think that we, I think we, she just has one of those names that all you say is the the first name and you know who she is. Kind of like, and then he put me in the category of like Oprah or Beyonce, (laughs) which I don't think I really, uh, anyway, measure up to there. But um, today I kind of feel like my guest is in the same category. You say Louie and we know who Louie is. I'm so glad you're here with me today, Louie. Let me give, you know, the listeners a little bit of an introduction, but Louie Sharp is here today joining me. Um, He is someone that I've met in the networking world. He's somebody that when he walks into the room, he lights up the room. When he talks with you, he makes you feel like uh, you are the most important person in the room. And I just love that about him. But Louis is also a national re- uh, renowned world-class keynote speaker for well over 11 years. Um, he has been seen on NBC as well as delivering lots of keynote speeches to different companies such as you know, DuPont, Edward Jones, just had a lot of stage experience even with Jack Canfield. Um, he's a Marine, a former Marine. Um, again, he has owned many different companies. He's a successful business owner. He works with cars. Um, he works with leadership, self-confidence, success. I mean, Louis is a big deal, and I'm really super excited that you have joined me today, Louis. Um, thanks for coming on my podcast. Well, you're, you're quite welcome. I'm excited to be here, and I can tell you, Moira, that uh, it's hard to make me blush, but you just got it done. <laughs> <laughs> well, yay! <laughs> yeah, you are, again, you're one of a kind, and um, I'm blessed to know you, and um, I always start the podcast out, you know, I know people, and then I get to talking with them. I talk about my mission in this podcast of sharing people's stories and helping people feel like they're not alone in their struggles, and people then start sharing their stories. And you did the same thing with me. You said, you know what, let me come on and I'd love to share my story uh, with your, with you and with your listeners and maybe I could help someone. So I never knew that about you, uh, the things that we're about to hear today. Um, but again, just very blessed that you are open and brave enough to share your story so that um, again, we can help other others feel like they're not alone and perhaps gives them some tips and some great um, wisdom into how that they can really move past um, the struggles in their life um, to live really their best life. So let's start at the beginning. Let's start with your story. Um, I know that there's addiction there, there's abuse there. Again, we don't talk about all of the 
difficult, awful low lights and things like that, but just things that you, you know, things that you learn through that, the things that you feel comfortable sharing that you think would be great for our audience to hear. Sure. Thank you. Well, let me start by saying um, it may, you make it easy and this is a safe place, right? Because of your personality and you play full out from your heart. So at this point, I've, I've had enough healing where I can talk about any part of my journey with candor and, and the hope that it would do just what you said, right? Show somebody else that you're not alone. There is possibilities and there is a light, right? That, that we can, there's a way out of the darkness. And so with all that being said, one of the things that I want uh, to you to know is that, so I'll go back to probably around the second grade, I guess is when it started. My mother and father were divorced and we were living in Arizona at the time. And my mother got custody of us. It was the sixties, obviously. And what happened was she hired a babysitter because she was still working full time. I'm the oldest of three boys. So she hired a babysitter and she took me outside with the babysitter, had me cut a branch off of a tree and then trim the little branches off of it. And then gave that stick to the babysitter and said, if he doesn't behave and take care of his brothers and clean the house and do all the things he's supposed to do, you have my permission to beat him with this stick. So the babysitter not only beat me with that stick, she sexually abused myself and my next youngest brother in the second grade. Uh, this went on for a couple of years. My dad remarried and he moved to Chicago. And so he saved all his money and we went to Chicago to visit him in the summer. He had us two weeks. And when we got there, he asked my brothers and I, do we want to go back? And my brothers and I were like, there's no way we want to go back. So my dad had hired an attorney. He takes my mother to court. My mother flies in from Arizona. They put me on the witness stand. At this point, I'm in the fourth grade. And so they just asked me the conditions we were living in, right? And so at this point, my mother had been having sex with literally all kinds of men. I would often wake up in the middle of the night um, with her either having loud, violent sex or her having loud, violent fights with this, this parade of men that were in and out of our apartments. We lived in these like cheap rundown apartments. And so they put me on the witness stand and at the, at the tender age of the fourth grade, which I think was about 10, I'm about 10 years old, you don't know anything except the truth. So they put me on the witness stand. They ask me these questions. I tell them the answers. And then what happens is the judge takes a recess because I think the, the whole courtroom was just like, oh my God, right? This is unbelievable. So I remember like it was yesterday, Maura, I remember standing in the courtroom downtown in Chicago, outside in the hallway. We're outside the courtroom and my mother and her attorney walked by us, us being my dad, my, my stepmother, who I don't know really at this point at all. I know she's married my dad and my two brothers and myself. She walks by us like we didn't exist. We weren't there. Last time I ever saw my mother alive, she walked out and never came back. Never heard from her birthdays, Christmas, never heard from her again. She's since died. She went back to her side of the family, which was living in Arizona, told her side of the family that my dad had kidnapped us and taken us to Canada because my step, stepmother was Canadian. So 
that's where I think she got that idea, told her whole side of the family that my dad had kidnapped us. My dad, we lived in the same house under my dad's real name with a listed phone number, you know, because back in those days, you could have like an unlisted phone number. And uh, so we weren't hiding from anybody. And then my brothers and I think, well, woohoo, you know, we're out of that mess. And little did we know we had jumped from the frying pan into the fire. So my stepmother was certifiably crazy. She would beat us bloody with forks, belt buckles, lamps, anything she could get her hands on. And at one point, when I say she's certifiably crazy, at one point, my dad called whoever it was back in those days. I don't know if it was, it wasn't paramedics, but he called somebody and they literally came and, and strapped her down to a stretcher, right? Because she was just, she would freak out. That was part of what her makeup was. And so they strapped her to a stretcher and, and took her to a mental hospital for like four weeks. And um, I can, I, now I can look back and kid on it, but I, I, I talk about that guy, that character in the Halloween movies, Jason, where, you know, they'd shoot him or they'd stab him. And sure enough, he'd just pop back up and come back. I, that was my stepmother, right? No matter what happened, she'd somehow she'd pop back up and come back. And, um, and so that, that went on pretty much even through from the time we moved in with her. So that was my dad got custody of us between the fourth and fifth grade. And then the beating and the abuse. And, you know, she would, uh, even when I was in high school, I didn't have a growth spurt until I was actually out of high school. So she could still physically overpower me and beat me in high school. And, and she used to beat me. Like I said, she would beat us bloody. And she, and then she would tell me that I was never going to mount anything, that I was useless, that she couldn't wait till I was old enough to sign the papers so I could join the Marines and I'd be the out of her house and she would never, never have to deal with it again, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. So in a nutshell, that's my childhood. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. It's not, I mean, it's not funny at all, but, uh, wow. You know, I just, uh, you hear stories and it's just amazing. I just don't, I don't, I really just don't understand how a parent or a step parent or whatever can abuse their children. I just don't, don't understand well, that. Well, you know, I'm going to skip to the end and then we can talk about what you'd like in the middle. But I can tell you, I've, there's no, lots of things that I've done that have helped me heal. I, I burned through all the vices, right? I, drugs, alcohol. Uh, I had great rage. I had great anger in me. And, and uh, rightly so, you know? I mean, come on. That's, right. doesn't, that, that doesn't make sense to a... Uh, to a 57-year-old woman sitting here, let alone a second grader, a fourth grader, a kindergartner, a teenager. That doesn't make sense. And No. And it's funny because I think that we're blessed with the, the, this thing called our spirit, right? Our soul. I, I, one of the things that happened to me, I remember one time my brothers and I had to vote what we were going to call her, right? And I was outvoted two to one. They wanted to call her mom. And I knew even as messed up as my mother was, she wasn't my mother, and so I never accepted her as my mother. And I remember, and I was always very defiant to her. And I remember one day she said something to me, and I, I smarted off over my, and I knew it was coming, right? And I didn't care. And so she literally runs across the kitchen, tackles me, and has me on my back on the kitchen floor. 
and she's above me straddling me and she's got my arms trapped inside of her knees, right? So she's kind of kneeling and, and sitting on me. And so I can't get my hands up to protect my face. And she just starts wailing on me. And in this melee, I start laughing and which just infuriates her and makes her beat me harder. But in that moment, for me, it's God. In that moment, God gave me the wisdom that she could kill me, but she couldn't beat Louie out of me. And that's what she was trying to do. She couldn't beat Louie out of Louie. At the end of the day, I, I went through sex, drugs, alcohol. I even used work as a drug, right? I would work from sunup to sundown to exhaust myself so I wouldn't have to think about it or, or you know, run from it. And one of the things that, that I'd like to share with everybody that's listening is the power of forgiveness. And this case, I meditate. So one of the things I do on a regular basis is meditate. And, and great wisdom has come to me in meditation. And this is one of the pieces that came to me. For me to forgive my mother, my, my first, my real mother, and you're absolutely right. It's not only, you can't imagine. I know how much you love your daughter. I know how much you've stood beside your daughter, guided, helped, supported, loved her, been through the ups and the downs, right? There's no way in your brain, in your heart, in your soul, that you cannot conceive of walking out on her and never coming back, right? It's right. incomprehensible to you. What came to me in meditation was, that's not what a mother does to walk away and never have communication with her children. But the insight that came to me was back behind her, somebody had to screw up, her up probably worse than what was done to me. And when I realized that, that it wasn't, if you'd have been her daughter, Moira, she'd have done the same things to you. If you'd have been my, the stepdaughter of my stepmother, she'd have beat you bloody too. So two great things came to me. The first one was it had nothing to do with me. I had done nothing wrong, right? There, Louis had done nothing wrong. Louis was just being Louis in, in the place where Louis happened to be. And for them to abuse me the way they did, but the, the babysitter, my real mother and my stepmother, Behind them, somebody had to really screw them up. And when I realized that, that was the beginning of my ability to forgive them and let it go. And that led me to the point where I could understand that, that again, if, if it, heaven forbid it had been you, you'd have gotten the same treatment. And so then I could start to realize maybe I do have value. Maybe I am important. Maybe I, I, do, I can bring something to this game called life that can help other people and, and make a difference. And when, and when I realized that, it, was, it, it changed everything. It changed everything because I, I, the anger started to dissipate, the, the loneliness. I can tell you there's a great book out there called A Child Called It. And, and to your point, I love what you said. We all think that we suffer in isolation or that we're the Lone Ranger. I thought for years that I was the Lone Ranger, that no, you know, and, and we hid this. Back in those days, there was no such thing as DCFS and those kinds of things. And so it was, it was shameful and you hid it, you didn't talk about it. 
But what happened was once I started to realize I had value, it, it, like I said, it changed the game. And it really made such a huge difference because at that point, I realized that, that it wasn't about me at all. Right. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes to all of that. I mean, there are, I've, there are generational patterns that continue to happen, again, from generation to generation to generation. And I think that, I mean, again, that's powerful that you realize that perhaps that was going on in your babysitter's life, in your mother's life, in your stepmother's life, that there was something that, like you said, they were repeating a pattern, albeit awful, repeating a pattern that they had learned themselves by something Correct. that happened to them. Right. And, and one of the things, so we have, we have the ability to take action, right? So I'd like to go back to what I was saying a minute ago, and, that, and that's the isolation piece, right? On the isolation piece, we all think we're suffering in this thing and we're the Lone Ranger. And when somebody, I actually had the audio for the book, A Child Called It. And it's a story of a child that was actually kept in a cage in a basement, right? And, and, and I, when I listened to it, I sobbed. And then that was very transformational too, because I realized, Louis, get over yourself. You're not the only one, right? And then once I started finding other people, and it's funny because you and I are in some communities and organizations together, and it's, to what you're saying, it's cyclical, right? Whether that's alcoholism or uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse, it's very cyclical. And I made a conscious decision. I... I have no children of my own and I didn't. And when I was in those years where, and I, I felt much like a, a, a woman might feel where, you know, you go through those years where it's the years to, to start a family and have children. I consistently and consciously decided not to have children because I still wasn't ever confident that I was strong enough or healthy enough to break the cycle. And so I thought I can break the cycle. I'm not going to have children. And by not having children, I've broken the cycle. And then as fate would have it, I was, I was blessed with children from a marriage that, came, that were previous, for another, a different father. And both of those children at some point came to me and had a better relationship with me than they had with their own father. But that's because I had, I had, I had started my healing process, right? The journey back to my wholeness, if you will, or the illusion that I wasn't whole and, and getting back to it. Yeah. Well, and what I think that's, I think being a mother is one of the most wonderful um, gifts that I have been given in this life. And, um, and I just, I, I, I'm, I'm excited for you or, you know, I, that makes me feel good about you because I think being a parent and having, you know, being able to love a child um, and have that relationship with a child is just really pretty awesome. And the fact that you have that, you've had that opportunity. But again, the key piece in there, you had started your journey, right? You had started your healing journey so that you felt like you could show up as a stepfather. I'm just putting words in your, your mouth here. Yeah. But that's what I think you're saying is that you were healing and you were taking care of yourself in those wounds. And so you were better able to show up in that be it that your own kids or someone else's kids. Yeah, that's very true. And I, and I think you touched on something right there more that's really, really critical is that I started realizing in my healing 
journey that it had to be inside of me, right? I couldn't look to you to love me enough to heal me. I can look for you to, to appreciate me or respect me enough to heal me. That that's, a, that's an inside job. And there's lots of ways to get help from other people. You're not alone in that journey. But at the end of the day, you've got to let yourself off the hook. You've got to, you got to go inside and realize, okay, this is – and that becomes the lesson of life for most of us, right? A very dear friend of mine just had – and imagine this when we speak about the, the challenges of motherhood or, or fatherhood. And I think that that's our greatest legacy is the ability to raise these children to be positive, healthy, productive people in, in society and in the world. And a dear friend of mine just had to turn off life support on her own son, who was an alcoholic, and basically drank himself to death. And, and I don't think there's any greater pain on the planet than losing your child to begin with. Right. I don't think there's, I spent 20 years in the Marines. I tell people this all the time. I, I don't think there's anything more painful in the world than burying your own child. And then in her case, add having to be the person to turn off life support to make it happen. You know, and, and, and when you think of those terms, because regardless of who we are and what our story is, there's always somebody out there. And you think, holy cow, I, what, what am I complaining about? Right. They got a whole lot worse. Mm hmm. Yeah. To that point, I've talked with others, again, in the eating disorder world. And um, I have a I have a girlfriend who um, lost her child to um, childhood pediatric, um, you know, cancer. And we have, you know, I've had a conversation with her to say, you know what, I can't, I can't imagine again, losing a child. But I, for those listening that have children in an eating disorder, or even perhaps, you know, other addictions, there is a point that when that disorder takes over so much, like there have been times that I said, I've lost my daughter. That's not my daughter in front of me because that's the eating disorder. That's the, and again, I have hope that she, that my daughter will, again, that spirit's still alive in her and she will, she will recover and be whole and go on to be a wonderful, beautiful part of society. But at that moment, if that makes sense, like my child is not, that's not my child. And losing and and feeling out of control, like I can't, I can't get my child. It's just an awful, terrible feeling, you know, just it, awful. And, and and I think it. Well, there's no doubt about it. And I think at that point, you're right. It's almost like they've been possessed by something, and it's not them. And the other part of that is, is that there's great. I think that there's great opportunity in that for all of us to learn and grow. Because at the end of the day whether your child's got great behavior or bad behavior, do you really have any control over anything they do? Mm -hmm. We don't, right? And the, and the illusion or that we think we do is, creates all this suffering. Uh, so the, the, it's been a really weird summer for me. I've buried seven people, and they've all been really close. And another really good friend of mine, him and his wife, just buried their 16-year-old daughter. And she got into a car with a young girl who was drunk and the driver, they, they hit a, a big six wheel dump truck at about, they, they estimate about somewhere between 80 to 90 miles an hour. The driver was killed on impact, who was the girl that was drunk. And then um, my buddy's daughter, she survived the crash, but was brain dead. And so they had the same thing. They had to turn off life support on their 16 year old daughter. And they are um, right now, 
in the middle of really beating themselves up, right? And at some point, you have to realize that she made that decision on her own. She chose to get in that car with that young girl and the drunk driver. They, as the parents, didn't fail her. They didn't, they didn't kill her, but that, that's where they're living right now. And that's a very, very dark place. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's when we live in that illusion of we have control over anything. And we, re- we really don't. One of the things I like to share with people that I've learned at this point is there's only three things we have control over. The things we're thinking, the things we're saying, and the things we're doing, right? I can't get you to quit smoking. I can't get you to quit drinking. I can't get you to like Trump or hate Trump. I can't get you to do anything, right? And that, and that, and that right now, that's why the, the, the country, you know, we're, this is going on uh, right you now. This is what we two days after the election, and there's still people are wanting to control the outcome. People are wanting to control what somebody else thinks about somebody else. It's insanity. And, and, and it creates all the suffering. And it's all about that control thing. We don't have control over any of it. Yeah, we don't. Uh, yeah, that's, it's a theme that continues to go through this podcast and again, through this world. And it is, it's insanity. Like looking at these, yeah, we're not going to go into politics right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's not the point of this, but it's very true. And I do want to, I just, I, I want to make sure that people heard that power of forgiveness because that is not an easy thing to do, but it's that power of, I don't know, I've heard it in a, in a, in a course or a talk that I went to at um, a place around here that really forgiveness isn't about the other person, right? No, no. So I tell people one of my favorite quotes and I tie this to forgiveness directly is when you're busy hating somebody, it's like eating a jar of poison, expecting it to kill the other person. Mm-hmm. It never works. Right. And so until you forgive you, when you forgive, it's not, you're absolutely right, Mara. And this is the wisdom for ages, right. And for the ages, when you forgive, you're freeing you, you're healing you, the other. My, so what, by the time I got to this place where I could, forgive my mother. She was dead. She was gone. Right. Didn't matter. And, and, and she, even if she had been alive, she was never coming back into my life. Didn't know where she was at. Didn't, you know, I heard through a grapevine. And so at that point, that's all I can do is forgive because at that point you're absolutely right. I let myself off the hook and, it, and I can heal. And one of the things that I share is a really interesting statistic. I stumbled across somewhere, 40% of the people, 40% of the people that die of cancer go to their grave hating somebody. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Just let it go. Because it, it, so I recently, I don't know if you know this or not, but about three years ago, I had a massive heart attack. In that experience, one of the things that came to me was we take nothing with us. Right. If I drop dead today, am I taking my guitars with me? No. Am I taking my businesses? Am I taking you? I take nothing. I'm going to go out the same way I came in, mm-hmm. kicking and screaming, but I, nothing goes with me, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> and, and so what are we worried about? We freak out. You know, one of the, my favorite things I love to ask people is, tell me one thing you worried about that killed you. <laughs> nothing. Nothing, we've right. Lived, we've lived through all of it. And the stuff we don't live through, it kills you. You got nothing to worry about anymore. You're dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's a great... Um, it's a great attitude to have, and uh, sometimes it isn't easy, but I wanted to say something that um, made me think of it when you're talking about the P- 
people with cancer and being angry. There was a um, book that I read years ago, and I don't think I have a copy of it, but um, I don't know. I picked it up because I'm a nurse and I love to read anything medical if it's not too, you know, if it's not too detailed, I'd love to read. And so it was called Gray Matter. And it was about a physician who started to pray with his patients. And it was so powerful, like what happened? Like, first of all, he was praying kind of for his patients, like secretly and silently and all of that. And then he invited then he asked permission if it was okay that, hey, can I pray for you before the surgery or whatever the case is, like with them. And not only did it help him, but he saw that power of forgiveness with, with his patients to the point that, again, this was many years ago, but what I remember is one of his patients, he was a neurologist. So a neurosurgeon, I mean, just the details that he had to know about to help people with their, um, again, their blockages in their brains or things, you know, just really... I mean, I loved it as a nurse to read it, but he did, she, he performed surgery on somebody and really helped him, that patient with um, his mobility and coming back to life basically. But within a couple of days, he just went downhill and just really went worse than he was before. And uh, the story was that the doctor went back, you know, several years later and like went back to visit the, the patient and the patient was so angry and in the wheelchair and like lashing out at him. And why did you do this? And he just, you know, he just, you know, he reached out to him. He shared love. You know, he apologized. And all of a sudden that patient, his life started to improve because he was able to forgive that doctor and to get rid of that. And that burden was gone. And so he was able to, you know, heal physically, but he was healing emotionally on the inside. Just that power of prayer and forgiveness is just really something. It is. It's it's transformational, right? Mm-hmm. It, it literally has the ability to transform your life. And one of the things that that I don't think people realize is is that everything's connected, right? And so you can't you can't be hating somebody or wanting to be revengeful or get even or even the score those kinds of negative thoughts, and not realize that it's it's affecting your physiology mentally, emotionally, physically, you're, you're killing yourself. But, you know, I think that's one of the things we had a very interesting conversation one time, your husband's uh, studying Reiki and I'm a Reiki master. And one of the things in Eastern medicine that they do is they go after the cause. Western medicine really likes to treat the symptom, right? So if you have a headache here, take these two aspirin, but what's the headache from, you know, often headaches are from not drinking enough water. But my point to this is, is that in that when you're carrying that, that anger, that hatred, that contempt, uh, resentment, all those things, the, the person you're hurting the most, I'll tell you a quick story. I was a village trustee for um, four years and the mayor and I were at odds. And so I got to a point where I hated him. And I mean, I hated him. And then I, I started this healing process, and so I forgave him. And we were at some ceremony that, you know, village officials, it was a new park, and we were dedicating the park. And, and, and so him and I were both there early, and he, wa- he starts to walk by me, and I say, hey, Charlie, you know, I'd really like to apologize. I've, been, I've just, uh, I'm done hating you. And he looked at me like it was the, he didn't know. He didn't know I had been busy hating him. 
He had been living his life like nothing was wrong. He didn't care. He put his head on his pillow at night and slept like a baby because he wasn't even aware that Louis Sharp was busy hating him. <laughs> and so you're absolutely right, Moira. When I, when I forgave him, I let me off the hook because it wasn't affecting him at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What about your, um, I always, I mentioned relationships because again, I'm a mom and um, have somebody that's struggling in my life. I mean, how did you, I know you said you forgave your mother. I mean, did you reconcile with your father or your stepmother or, you know, or how's your relationship with your brother? Again, these, maybe these are questions that um, would go on a lot longer than our podcast. But again, sometimes people say, well, you know, again, I'm gone on with my life and I've just forgotten about my father or whatever. And I mean, did you forgive your father or how, how was that relationship? So my father died when I was fairly young. I was grateful that my father came back and got my brothers and I. It's powerful in that I was very grateful that he saved me. I never came to terms. At one point, my stepmother beat me really bad one day and threw me down the basement steps and then came down the steps, drugged me back up, and then sent me to my room to think about what I'd done wrong one more time. And so I snuck out the window as the summer. I went around. I had a paper out. I took my paper out money went around, got my bike and ran away from home. And uh, the second day the police caught me and they brought me home. And on the drive back to my house, they asked me, why did I run away from home? And I said, I'm tired of being beat bloody for things I didn't do. I didn't do anything wrong. And so they stayed with her there till my dad came home. My dad came home, they went far enough away where I couldn't hear what they were talking about, but I could hear they were talking. And then when their conversation was over, they got in the car and left. My dad and I went in the house. The beating stopped for about two weeks. After that, they went on. When my, when my mother divorced my dad, she, one of the people that she was screwing around with was an attorney. So my dad at one point was so poor that he literally, literally and when I say a shack, I'm not, he lived in a one-room shack that he rented from this old woman and this old woman would make him cheese sandwiches, two slices of bread with a piece of cheese in the middle of it, nothing on it. So he'd have something for lunch. And so I think that my dad, I never had a chance to, to figure this out with my dad, but I believe that my dad stayed with my stepmother because he wasn't about to be broke one more time from a divorce and a battle over kids and that kind of stuff. My brothers and I, and this is much to uh, what you're talking about, about control and stuff. My brothers and I, I'm so grateful for them because without them, I couldn't have survived my childhood. We, we just bonded in a way that, you know, much like the stories you read about people in, in prison camps or prison, that kind of stuff. Without my brothers, I couldn't have survived my childhood. But unfortunately, at one point, both of my brothers worked for me. Both of my brothers stole from me. I fired both of my brothers, which made me the bad guy because they were stealing from me. Uh, both my brothers are still still have issues with drugs and alcohol. They refuse to talk to me. Same thing. I've forgiven them. I bless them. I pray for them, but I, they're not. They're no longer an active part of my life. And again, that's that's we, like I said before. We have a choice, right? We have a choice to keep hating, or we have a choice to start letting it go and forgive. And it's the same thing with them. I, I understand that the things that they did to me, they th there's a great. I heard this from Jack Canfield about 15 years ago, and it still resonates true. Everybody's doing the best they can with where they're at, with what they know. 
if they knew something better, they'd be doing something better, but they don't know anything better. So they take another drink. They take another hit on a marijuana cigarette or they cocaine or I don't even know the drugs these days. That, But it's so they don't know any better and they're still busy killing that pain, right? They're still carrying that burden of what we, we live through. And so it, 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 it can't not have an impact. And then, and, and the, and the power and the beauty of this is, is then I get to get in relationship with people like you, right? And you're, I would say the same thing of you, you vibrate very high and it, it's very difficult not to be around you and not be more joyful, not be more excited, more, be, be more enthusiastic, not be more inspired. And so we, and we, and that's a, again, a choice, right? We can hang around. This is one of the things I learned and, we, and you and I could go on and on. So when you need to cut me off, you let me know. <laughs> right. But one of the things I've, I've realized in the Marine Corps was, and we tell this to our kids, you know, the old birds of a feather flock together thing. I was literally a, all over the world in the Marines in my 20 years. And it didn't matter where they sent me, wherever I ended up, all the guys that were drinkers hung out together. All the guys that were cheating on their wives hung out together. All the guys that were busy being good Marines hung out together. All the guys that were busy being the muscle heads and lifted weights all the time hung out together. It, it wasn't a fluke. And so if we're hanging around with people that are sucking us down, you got to get out of that pool. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's true. Absolutely. Um, such great words of wisdom. What do you feel has really been the most helpful in your, I mean, it sounds like you've read books, you've um, prayed, you power of forgiveness. I mean, what do you feel like has been the most helpful for you as you've gone through this journey to, again, arrive where you're at today? Um, I think there would be probably three or four things. Um, one of them is meditation. Uh, another one is I was blessed to come across um, three different things. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Ho'oponopono, mm -hmm. uh, which is all about forgiveness. I, I I was led to that. Uh, the Sedona method, very powerful. The, um, and the rim re releasing your inner magician by a woman named Deb Sandella. Um, those were all life-changing. I spent a fair amount of time in talk therapy. I think it has its place, but there are faster ways to, to release negative energy and your past, uh, I think, than talk therapy. And those, those were some of the ways I did it. Meditation, the Sedona Method, RIM for, with Deb Sandella, Ho'oponopono. Uh, and then being in group. You know, at one point I was in uh, an AA group for sex. I was, my, my drug that I ended up on was sex. I, 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 could, I could quit alcohol by myself. I quit the drugs by myself. I couldn't quit the sex by myself. And when I was in a room... And this is what we were talking about before. We do none of this in isolation, right? So in AA, at some point, you have to tell your story. Well, through that group, I realized that every, every man in that room had had a screwed up relationship with their mother. Every one of them. It, well, there wasn't some fluke that one, only one of us had a bad relationship. All of us had bad relationships with our mothers. When you look at, now, and I'm not saying that what like a John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer did was right, but both those guys go back and find out about their mother and their relationship all messed up. And, and that's to what you were talking about before in community of people, you're not alone. And there's people that have suffered what you've suffered. Some of them way worse than what you suffered, but there's, there's healing in that because there's this, this camaraderie of 
you can talk about it and they get it. They understand it, right? One of the things I like to do that I think is a great analogy is like trying to explain sex to a virgin. And until you have sex, you really don't know what it's like, right? Well, until you've been beaten bloody, you really don't know what that's like. But when you're in a room with full of people that have been beaten bloody, then it's really easy to relate. You start to, to connect on a way that's very deep and profound and healing. And you realize that there is a way out and, and there's people there to help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can let your guard down and feel like, again, you, that you can open up and be okay with not being okay when you have others around you that they get it. I mean, some people, my friends will say, well, how can you just, like with everything that you got going on with it, I'm like, you know what, I, I have found, I, I, so one of my teammates asked me that the other night. I said, you know what, I do a lot of self-care and I connect with people in support groups and I take care of myself and I do a lot of these same things. You know, I pray and I meditate and you know, let it go and all of those kind of things. I don't know what the Sedona method is, but I'm going to look into that. But, you know, again, you've got, I think part of hopefully what people are hearing is you've got to get yourself around people that understand where you're at so that you can feel again, that you're not alone, that you're not that lone soldier and that power of community can really help to heal you. And yeah, I would, I'd agree. And I'd like to reiterate something I said about you at the beginning, Moira, all those things that you're doing, all those things that I'm doing, it now makes us a safe place, right? Because people feel that. I share this all the time. People feel you long before they ever hear you or know you. They feel you. And you, by being you and making your journey and continuing to do the work, I came on because of you. Because I knew I could come here and not be judged and it was a safe place and I could talk about everything I've talked about freely, right? But that's a space you've created for, and so guess what Louie's been doing through this? Through this little interview, this conversation, Louie's been healing. I can't not heal in a space with a person like you and I can't not, the more I tell my story, the more my story's out of me, right? And the more I get to heal. It's a continuing day-to-day ongoing process and, and that's why what, we, what you're doing and what you continue to do is so important. And if, if your listeners take anything away from this, they have to take care of themselves and heal themselves because at some point they're going to be that port in the storm for, and they don't know who, right? And sometimes it might just be a quick a hug or a smile and it changes somebody's life, but you have to be able to, to, to resonate up at that place where you're the safe spot now for somebody to go find some refuge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for those kind words about me. I appreciate that. Again, I felt very led by, you know, I believe my God to say, you know, I got to go start talking about this. And I, you know, jumped in and started this and, you know, 60 episodes later, I'm like, you know, it's been going great. And I know I'll continue it because I believe in just everything you said is that we have to, you know, by me sharing, by you sharing, we can heal, we can be a safe spot for people. And, um, you know, we can be that light uh, for, for others. Again, we could talk about a lot more things, but uh, I know <laughs> we, we both have uh, work to do. You know, I know that you do some great things. You're a wonderful speaker. Again, you work on cars. I mean, where can people find you? I'll put it all in the show notes as well. You know, I guess where can people find you? And I think I know the answer to this question, but what are you, what are you most excited about that you get to do every day? So they can find me at Louie at the Gifted Leader. That's all spelled out, thegiftedleader.com. They can reach me there if they want to reach out. And the thing that I get to do every day that I'm always excited about is make a difference. I think people take it, 
they think it's got to be some grandiose thing, right? That if you're not Mother Teresa or Gandhi, you're not changing the world. Nothing's further from the truth. I think that, um, you know, hugging somebody, smiling at them, I'm really passionate about, uh, and you've seen me do some of this, about really helping people. I think our businesses are our gift to the world, right? We're, do, we're servicing people, giving them products. And what I'm really passionate about is helping people become so successful that they now have more money to go make a bigger difference. You know, one of the things I tell people is if, if you had everything you needed, Moira, and you needed no money for the rest of your life and I gave you a check for a million dollars, you don't have to think about who you're going to go help. You already know, bam. And so my goal, what I'm really passionate about is helping businesses grow so that they can be doing that kind of charitable giving and you go help those that are, are less fortunate than people like you and I who've, who've been able to come out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Just so honored that you that you felt like you could come here and share your story. And again, I've been blessed to be introduced to you, to meet you and spend time with you. And um, I just uh, love you as a dude in my life. I just really, really am grateful for that. So thank you for being with us today, Lou. I really do appreciate it. Mo- Moira, it was truly, it was my honor. And, I, and I'll touch on this on the way out. I love you too. And I think that it's beautiful that we can have us as an example for people that it's completely possible to love another person specifically of the opposite sex with no romance or sex, any of that stuff in it, right? It's still possible for men and women to love each other. And that's what's made this relationship so, so amazing. We've probably never told it to each other, but we've sure felt it for a long time. I mean, I just felt that and I had to share that. It came up. I'm like, you know, but that's, again, I just, I get, you know, I get choked up about it. When I find people that I can be authentic with and that fill me up and that I feel like I've been, perhaps I've given you a gift today. Again, a gift of healing. And um, it just, I mean, that's, that's that feeling inside. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, it, it, it's, it's, I believe it's love and it's my heart opening up and saying, wow, I just love being connected with you and I love all about you. But it isn't about sex. It's not about Okay, we're going to no. hook up. It's, it has nothing to do with that. And um, that's been a learning journey in my life too. And I think many others, when they have relationships, male and females, that aren't that blur those lines, that step way over those lines of, um, again, that's a podcast probably for another day, but you know, <laughs> they, they blur those lines of like what a relationship is supposed to be like and that we can love each other and not, you know, not be wanting to jump into bed or not hurting each other. We can love right. each other just authentically for who we are um, and who you are. So, right. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. So, there you go. So, let's finish up. And again, thank you to the listeners. Again, this was tremendous, uh, beautiful um, conversation. I so appreciate it. And again, I, I'm sure that the listeners have gotten value from it. Again, I'm so grateful that everybody comes back to listen. Um, I hope that there's lots of sharing of this because there are some great nuggets in here that can help others. And again, in the end, we want you to know that there's power in forgiveness. There's power in loving yourself. There's power in sharing your story. And um, you do, everybody has a choice and an opportunity to to be the best they can be, to live a life full of joy and prosperity. And uh, that's our message today. And if you need some help, reach out to either one of us. We're here to help you guide you along that path. And again, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. 
I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know, as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk, and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.